Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded Live Inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? My friends, Live Inspired in Studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. We have a remarkably impressive guest with me today. He's awesome. He's a film, television, and commercial executive producer. He's been honored as one of the top 50 most creative people by advertising age. He's Wired Magazine's 2015 Agent for Change. And he's received the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian of the Year Award. Yeah, that's a, a pretty big brag sheet, and it's the tip of the iceberg for Mick Ebling. I first came across Mick while speaking at a conference together, actually. We shared the stage. Mick probably doesn't know this, but I like to learn about other guys and ladies who are sharing the stage. One of the guys that day was a fellow named Mick Ebling. I researched him. I watched his videos afterwards. His heart, his style, his authenticity, his impact has transformed the way I view business, relationships, challenges, impossible, and life. And I know it's going to do the same for you today. I knew I wanted to meet him afterwards. I knew I wanted to learn from him, write about him, share his story, his heart, his work, and what it all means for you, my friends, as you deal with seemingly impossible situations in your own life. So today, my ask is this, open wide your minds, open wide your hearts, open your pens and your journals, get ready for an awesome ride as we bring on our newest Live Inspired friend, Mick Ebling. Mick, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. That was the best introduction I've ever had in my entire life. I, I'm, 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 you can't see this in podcast world, but I'm, I'm, I'm blushing right now. This is Mick's first podcast. He forgot to mention that on the introduction. So th let's all welcome him to his first ever interview. Mick, welcome to your first ever, man. It's, it's going to be a big one, dude. It's all uphill from here. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Mick, those who don't yet know your name, give us uh, the honor of bragging about yourself just for a little bit. Talk about the work that you're doing today. Um, so I started Not Impossible back uh, accidentally. It was There was no intention. There was no grand master plan for this. Um, I had a production company. We had 
you know, we were cranking along. We had offices all over the world. We were making, uh, specifically in the world of animation and design, we were doing some awesome things like the James Bond main title sequences for James Bond films and different things. It was, it was fun. It was creative. I was working with great people. And then um, I, a friend of mine came by and uh, surprised my wife and I on date night, stopped by the house he hijacked our date night and ended up taking us to a gallery event. And at this gallery event, I met a, or I was exposed to a group of people that were there to raise money for a, their friend who was a paralyzed graffiti artist named Tony Tempsquan. Mm -hmm. And I was just really moved by the night. It wasn't anything I was planning on. It was a surprise, you know, it was kind of just a spontaneous thing. And that night, uh, being exposed to him and learning that he had been lying motionless in a bed for seven years, unable to communicate, unable to, to express himself, um, I thought that everybody who was paralyzed with ALS had some kind of a Stephen Hawking machine. I thought mm -hmm. that was just a ubiquitous way of, 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 of communicating. found out he was talking through a piece of paper when it, and his caretaker or brother or friends or would, would run their finger along a piece of paper and when their finger got to a letter he would blink and then they would write that letter down and then repeat and learning that story understanding that 13 miles away from where i live in venice beach right i live in california I live in los angeles we have a gmp greater than most developing nations that this guy was talking through a piece of paper mm. and so to me that was absurd. I had never, I didn't know that that's, I didn't know anybody with ALS. So this was my first time I'd been exposed to it. And that moment led to a series of events of me basically committing to his family to solving that and getting him what I called a Stephen Hawking machine, but then also figuring out how to get it so he could actually draw again. And that was the, that was the launch the of Genesis. Not Impossible. When you shared this story the first time I heard it, you brought me completely to tears because at age nine, I spent six weeks uh, after being burned on my entire body on a trach. And uh, Mick, I was unable to speak for those six weeks. And the way that I communicated to my mom and dad about the challenges and the dreams that I had was on a piece of paper. They would run their finger along an alphabet board. And when they got to the right letter, I would do a little click. And that was the first letter, then a second letter, then a space, and then another letter. And it took forever. It was awkward, painful. And no one was able to do anything about it, Mick. So my question to you is, it's one thing to be upset about something that, that causes pain or creates challenges for someone else. It's a completely another thing, though, to be moved to say, we must do something. We must act. Have, have you always had that kind of mindset where a, a problem bothered you enough that you were going to move and do something about it? I mean, I think that when you reflect back on your life, you think of yourself as a, as a kid and you think of yourself as a teenager and then you want to, and then you want to apologize to your parents for being that teenager. <laughs> um, you know, I think that having grown up in the family that I'd grown up in, um, we, my dad was a, uh, he was a son to a depression kind of age grandmother, right? Mm -hmm. So she grew up in the depression um, we, he, he'd really taught us not to take things for granted. 
And, you know, one of the stories that I always tell is that, you know, when every year we would do the same vacation to the same campground every single year. And it was the best vacation ever because it was just, it was just awesome. And we would go camping and fishing and hiking. And the thing that my dad would always say when we would leave the campground was, all right, everybody, you know, my, my brought to my brother and I and Lance, he would say, all right, you guys go pick up, pick up our campground you know, our campsite mm-hmm. and then go pick up the campsites around us. And my brother and I would always kind of bitch and moan and complain like, well, we didn't, you know, these aren't our cigarette butts on the campground floor. These are, this isn't, we didn't stay in those campsites. And, and he would just go, yeah. yeah and he would, he would make us go do it. And, and, and inevitably we would complain so much. And, and his comment to us was always, imagine if everybody who came to this campground and stayed in a campsite, imagine if they left it cleaner than when they found it, Mm. what, what would happen? And then, you know, there was, I'm sure there's times where that actually resonated. I'm sure there's times where we were just going through our adolescence irritation stage, but that really came back to me and stuck with me later on where I just made that a conclusion. And it wasn't honestly, the, the conclusion came to me after enough interviews by with with brilliant people like yourself asking where did this come from where did this come from and and my response was i don't know i don't know where it came from and then eventually that that story kind of came back to me and i was like wait a second this was ingrained to me you know in 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 my head really really early on so i think that there was this this thing with me as now a producer you know in my in my professional life that you just have this mentality and this attitude of you know, whatever it takes, you know, producers, mm-hmm. and it's why I love working with producers is you just say yes. And then you figure out how you're going to do it afterwards. And funny enough, that's one of the mon- mantras of non impossible is that you will say, you know, one of our, our kind of fundamental com- uh, mantras is commit and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. And we do that. We do that with everything that we tackle every so we call it you know, looking for absurdities, recognizing absurdities, and then saying that's wrong, that shouldn't be that way, and then just committing to figuring it out by any means necessary. You don't have to have a clue how you're going to do it. You don't have to have a degree or a diploma. You just have to say that's absurd. Mm. That has to change. I'm going to go solve it. So Tony Tempt one unable to speak, unable to create. That is absurd. You call it out. You make a commitment. You have a little party in uh, in real time that we're going to do this. But then the reality, Mick, is you have no clue. You have no clue what you've really just signed up for and committed to. So t- take us forward from that uh, that meeting into the second and the third and beyond. Well, I... So yeah, so I meet with with Tony as Tony Temps Kwan, Q-U-A-N. Mm-hmm. And he, his father and brother, I... I uh, at Christmas time or holiday season, we decided that instead of giving gifts to our clients for my production company, we would instead give a gift. Uh, we would actually make donations to the Tempt One Foundation on behalf of him, in behalf of our clients to his foundation. So I sit down with him over his father and brother over breakfast sometime in February, and I'm going to give him this check. And I say, hey, I'm going to give you this, this money. What are you going to use it for? And that's when they tell me about how they communicate. And that's when I just said, okay, that's ridiculous. So that was essentially that first moment of committing to them that I was going to get him a, one of those Stephen Hawking machines and, and get him a device, try to figure out a way for him to draw again. And as they left the restaurant and I stayed back to, you know, 
and pick up the bill and, and just kind of gather my stuff. I did not have any clue whatsoever at all how I was going to pull it off. But, you know, you kick into figure it out mode. Mm-hmm. And every single person on this planet has that mode. You know, maybe some people are more comfortable with it. Maybe some people are less comfortable with it. But when you don't know how to do something or when you don't know how to, you know, who you're supposed to call and you can't call Ghostbusters, then you just figure out, you just start to talk to people and you start to, to network and you start to interface with people and ask questions. And the, the funny thing is, the more questions you ask, the smarter you get. Mm-hmm. And the smarter, the, sm- the more you realize you don't know what you're doing, but the more you realize who does know what they're doing. And then, so we, that's what I started to do. I just started to talk to people and call people and network with people. And one thing led to another. And it took me a minute. You know, it definitely took me a minute to start to figure out how we might approach this. But I was at a conference speaking and I ended up meeting these guys called Graffiti Research Lab. And they, they were these kind of punk rock you know, uh, artists who had created this installation tool that allowed them to project massive with a, with a massive projector on the side of buildings. And then with a laser pointer, Mm -hmm. they, they would draw in the light. So imagine the side of side of the Washington monument, right? They would project the light perfectly within that space. They were able to crop the light perfectly within that space. And then with a laser pointer, they could do graffiti on the side of the Washington Monument, but it was in light, so it wasn't permanent graffiti. Mm-hmm. And so they would go around the world doing these things, and they were just, they were hysterical, they were funny, they, the types of installations that they would do were incredible. They, would, they popped up in the Beijing Olympics to, to protest uh, Nepal, and they were doing projections, they were going to do projections around uh, the Olympics, and they got thrown in jail for that. And they just, So they were just, I really liked kind of their never say die attitude. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I came home and I was talking to, you know, the, the most brilliant person in our family, my wife. And she said, well, wait a second, hang on. If these guys are, are doing graffiti on the, you know, non-permanent graffiti on the sides of buildings with light and they're writing with a laser, maybe we could figure out a way to connect temps eyes to some type of a laser pointer. And then he could do graffiti again. And we were at dinner, and, the, and kind of the, the joke I was telling is that we were at dinner, and just having dinner downstairs, and, and she said, well, maybe we could connect it, and then Temp could do graffiti with his eyes. Could you pass the salad dressing, please? <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, wait, that's it. Hang on a second, right. you know? So I'm talking to all these brilliant people around the world, and, and the genius came from my own family. And so, so we went on, we set a course, we brought all these people to our house. My wife and kids and I moved out of our house. They moved in. We just started to hack and program and experiment and come up with all kinds of different solutions. And it took us about two and a half weeks with a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of not sleeping. And we went to his hospital room and and uh, for the first time in seven years with his family and friends gathered downstairs in the parking lot from the hospital. Um, we set up a big projector, projected on the side of a building, kicked his bed around so we could see down into the parking lot and connected his, his computer in his hospital room down to a projector, down to the wirelessly down to the projector in the parking lot. And for the first time in seven years, this guy who'd been lying motionless in a bed, unable to communicate, unable to express himself through the thing that he loved most, which is to draw, he was able to draw again. And it was just, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Mick, uh, 
Take me through the emotion in the room, beginning first with your friend Temp One. What, 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 uh, what, what's it like to look down at him and to see what he's creating outside of the hospital room? You know, so we were downstairs in the parking lot, you know, making sure that was all going. The people, I had a couple of my, uh, the, the team, the tech team upstairs in the room. And, you know, I think it, the drawing was very kind of rudimentary. It yeah. was, you know, it was, it was a basic scrawl. But the fact that his family and friends were gathered there, the fact that he was doing it again, it was more, it was, it was the first step to right. what he wanted to do. And I think the, the funny thing is, you know, that night people were crying and people were high-fiving. It was this really emotional night. Uh, and we came back the next day and uh, uh, Temp's eyes were bloodshot and swollen <laughs> because he would not stop drawing with it. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of like using a muscle that you hadn't used. I mean, imagine if, if anybody listening right now started using their eyes to move their eyes back and forth and blink and move their eyes back and forth and blink over and over and over mm. and over again and using it as a muscle, as a drawing tool. It's just like using it. I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like doing, you know, curls with your big toe. You're, you're going to get sore pretty quick. And to me, it was the fact that he had just gotten this glimpse back into some type of a freedom of expression that was just so meaningful because now he was, he was just like, all right, I'm in like, let's, let's do this. I want to, I want to draw. I want to communicate. After the successful launch of this project for your friend, do you recognize yet that this is the beginning of a new journey? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I always joke that it wasn't this moment where all of a sudden, you know, the clouds parted and a array of light shone down upon me and I was, you know, but it was definitely the start of something. Mm. It was definitely this moment where I went, wait a second, you know, technology, I'm used to technology for the sake of animation. I had these really expensive computers and we'd work in these big post facilities and we would do all these, you know, crazy computers making these crazy things pretty and, and, and beautiful. And I said, well, wait a second, there's technology for the sake of design. There's technology for the sake of animation. There's technology for the sake of entertainment, but this gave me a glimpse of technology, but technology for the sake of humanity mm. and witnessing that and watching how the iWriter, that's what we call the device, how that we started to get stories back from people all over the world saying that this crappy little device. And it was, it was duct tape and zip ties and cheap sunglasses and a coat hanger and a cracked open web camera. Like this thing, there's nothing that Steve Jobs would have liked about <laughs> this thing. Right. Yet it gave people this, this ability to express themselves and witnessing that was just this moment It planted this seed that just grew and grew and grew within me of, wait a second, I just got to do more of this. I got to, I got to go out and make more technology that helps people. And that, that was, it was definitely the starting point, but it definitely wasn't this point where it was like, Oh, yes, I, I must go do this now. You know, you didn't buy the domain, not impossible.com quite yet. <laughs> it took me, no, we actually did. And we did because it, I was irritating my, uh, the team, the tech team. And I'm always the dumbest guy in the room, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm never the guy that knows what he's talking about. I'm just the guy that like pushes it to make it happen is they would say, ah, yeah, we can't do that. That's impossible. And I would say, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on a second. 
why is it impossible? Can you guys explain that to me? And they'd say, sure. And at first they were very patient. They would walk me through why it was impossible. And, it's, and I'd say, huh, well, it seems to me, you know, of course, I don't know what right, I'm talking right. about, but it seems to me if, if we were able to make that possible, that would pretty much solve what the problem was. And they would say, huh, okay. And then they would dive in a little bit. And then I would, they would say here later, later in the day, that's impossible. And I'd say, well, what's that about? Well, they got more and more reluctant to say the word impossible because they were like, oh, God, here he comes again. He's going to come in here and tell us we got to make that not impossible. So that was definitely where the name was launched, mm. was more, more me being kind of the, the irritating producer behind the scenes, kind of pushing the team to, to figure out how to make these things go from impossible to not impossible. The, the iWriter takes on a life of its own. It's open sourced. For, for the, the listeners right now who may not exactly know what that even means, explain what that means and then what it meant for the iWriter. So open source basically means that you, uh, and it was my first time being exposed to open source with the iWriter, is that you take your, your core code and you place it online so that people can take it, they can modify it, they can adapt it, they can grow it, uh, they can make it better. But we made it so that the entire device, soup to nuts, from the instructables on how to make one, from the code to actually driving it, was available for free. Mm. And the concept around that was... And, and the, I really, I credit the team for really pushing for this because I, I didn't understand what it meant at the time. It was the first time I had done something within the open source, open source space is that, you know, how do we make something accessible to people? How do we make something that people, there's no limit to someone's access to something, whether they have insurance or money that they could go out and make this on their own. And so the concept of open source is to just make it so that the community is able to take it and and grow it and expand it and it's you know infinitely available to people what i learned from that was that the concept of open source is beautiful mm -hmm. the execution mm -hmm. of open source is flawed mm. because if i said to you hey john um someone in your family has als god forbid or someone in your family has a trapped in syndrome god forbid and they, you did, you don't have access to this. You don't have an access to a tool that can let them communicate, even in a rudimentary way. Communicate. You can either a get all the ingredients. You can go online. You can get all the ingredients and order them, and they're going to all show up at your house, and then you're going to make your own iWriter. Or you can click buy it now, and for let's just say two hundred bucks, mm. three hundred bucks, whatever. It's going to show up on your doorstep four days later. What what would you do? Right. In, in our family, that, that's an easy choice. Exactly. We're technically challenged it, over here, so uh, we're we're going to Amazon. Well, that was the thing. That was the thing that we really realized is there was all these people. Even though it was open source, all these people were saying, "You can you please make me one?" And we'd say, "No, you must make it on your own. This is open source. Power to the people." And what we realized afterwards, and this has been a really instrumental part on how it affects how we think about non-impossible and, and the movement of non-impossible is that we make things accessible, but sometimes they're free, sometimes that you can make them themselves. And sometimes we just really try to drive the price point down so people can click you know, and, and order things or have access to things. And that sometimes is a more accessible solution mm. than offering it to someone to make it themselves. And that was, a, I mean, that took, that took a couple of years All to right. learn that. But but it was a it really affected how we think about creating accessible technology that helps people. 
Brother, you you have dozens of crazy, incredible, remarkable, miraculous, I think, type stories. We don't have time to go through all of them, but I, I do want to call out two that I specifically am just enamored with. Uh, a jazz musician with Parkinson's disease named Joe. And, and Mick, what you don't know about me probably is that my father has Parkinson's disease. He's had it for 28 years. And so when I came across Joe's story, this beautiful guy sitting by the piano, it just blew me away. For, for the listeners that don't know Joe's story, talk a little bit about Joe. Sure. So uh, Joe's story starts with the fact that, you know, now as not impossible, we're, we're clipping along. And we are just determined. I had I've phased out my production company, and we're just making technology that helps people. Right? It's technology for the sake of humanity. Our mission statement is change the world through technology and story. Mm-hmm. And you know, in our part of our process is we just looked for what we call absurdities. And so there's this absurdity that I happen to, some freak accident, happen to see, which is how the deaf experience music. And the way that they experience music is they stand in front of speakers. And they just receive the vibration against their bodies, right? It's the low end vibration. And it hits their body. That's an asinine way to experience music. It's like taking all the precision and the the acute components of music and it's balling it into a giant pillow and just Mm -hmm. throwing it against your chest, right? Mm -hmm. So one of my friends was um, skateboarding. This is a tangent, but a relevant tangent. He falls. He smacks the back of his head. He's not wearing a helmet. Hits the back of his head. Loses his sense of smell. Doesn't crush his nose. Doesn't fall forward. Hits the back of his head and loses his sense of smell. That that story gets lodged for me in my memory. And I say, well, wait a second. Hang on. If you don't... He lost his sense of smell, but he hit his head. That means you don't smell with your nose. You smell with your brain. Therefore, you don't see with your eyes. You see with your brain. You don't taste with your tongue. You taste with your brain. You don't hear with your ears. You hear with your brain. So maybe there's a way for us to hack around the broken part, the eardrums, the thing that receives vibration and sends a signal to the brain. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can hack around that and go straight to the brain and the deaf can experience music. So to make a long story short, we figured it out. We created a device that allows the deaf to experience music by through their, we've replicated the eardrums functionality through the skin by cutting music up into its various parts and projecting it to different parts of the body you wear a wearable um, vibrating wristbands ankle bands vest and it you know so your guitars are on your wrist your ankles are on your drum on your your feet so on and so forth and and now the deaf who we took it out to are losing their minds they're like this is the best thing ever where mm-hmm. they threaten us they said mm-hmm. we're not giving this back to you well so we're just we're stoked you know, we're stoked. We figured like, this is a great way. We're going to try to figure out how to make this better, faster, cheaper, stronger, and then the deaf will have an ability to experience music. And the irony is that if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably not deaf. That's well, I'm going to go on a limb here. Right? I'm going <laughs> to say something really brilliant. The crazy thing is we ran out of people who were deaf to experience this, to experiment on. And so we started experimenting on people who could hear. And they lost their minds. They said, oh my God, this is the future of music. This is how music is going to be experienced. People like Pharrell and Lady Gaga and Hans Zimmer were like, because we live in Hollywood, we live in Venice Beach, we live in Los Angeles. These are the people we have access to. And they said, this is the most amazing thing ever. And so we said, well, amazing. This is something that maybe if we were to create this so that the that people could have 
the people, the deaf people could have the experience of music. But what if we made it accessible to not just the deaf, but also the people who could hear? And so that was our path we started to go. All right, mm -hmm. that's, the pre that's the precursor to the story. So along the way, one of our chief mad scientists, this guy, this, this crazy brilliant uh, doctor who works at Mount Sinai named Dr. David Petrino, had a friend whose father was a famous jazz pianist and he had he has Parkinson's. And so his right side of his body, you know, his right hand shook yes. uh, uncontrollably. And um, so he said, I have this theory about your wristbands. Send me a couple wristbands out. I want to put wristbands on him and, and see if it has any effect on his tremors. Well, we sent the wristbands out. He put on our, our wristbands that are receiving music and translating into vibrating signals. And these wristbands stopped his tremors cold. And he sent me a video of it. And I said, oh my gosh, we wanted to help the deaf experience music. And instead, we figured out a way, a non-pharmaceutical remedy to tremors caused by Parkinson's. And so that then set this kind of snowball effect mm -hmm. that has tur turned into an avalanche. And I am very, very happy to say that my our game plan is sometime in the next couple months, hopefully in Q4, after completing a, our first clinical trial at Mount Sinai, we are going to be releasing. And and it, this is this is a classic, you know, revelation. We were pursuing an FDA path. We were going to go down this path of the FDA, and we're basically going to let the government tell us, well, this is how you can or can't help people. And we yes. were kind of going down that. And we were like, what? That's not working. That's not working for us. So we're going to relaunch the product as a general health device. We're not going to make any medical claims because we don't want to abort or, or, or hinder our FDA path. But we certainly were going to let the government tell us that we couldn't help people when we knew that it could help. Because I want people like your dad to have this thing as soon as possible and not have it have to wait for some government bureaucracy. So we're going to, our, our plan is to launch this thing, hopefully in Q4 of this year, where somebody can go online and they can order this thing. We're going to launch a big Kickstarter campaign, and I will definitely come back to you and let you know when this is going to happen so you can tell your I mean, dad, you can tell anybody in this community that they can order this thing. And then you know those, you know the, you know the pharmaceutical ads you watch on TV? Yes. Side, side, <laughs> side effects may include Everything. blindness. Yes. <laughs> may, your, your ears might fall out, hair loss. You might, you know, your nose might you know, grow on the back of your head, all these things. Our, our claims will be side effects may include your tremors from Parkinson's may subside. Yes. They may include, they may include, you know, a regaining of balance for the elderly. They may include all of these things that we've noticed happen, um, but we will disclaim them up and down. And then we hope that it helps people. And so we're going to, we're going to let people come in and order these things and we're going to make it so that if they don't work for whatever reason for, you know, and there's then been patients that we've tried these on that it doesn't work for whatever reason, because we don't know the science behind this. We just know it works. Mm. So we want to get it out there to as many people as possible. But for those of them that it does work, awesome. And for those of you that it doesn't work, send it back. We'll give you your money back. One of my favorite movies, and it, it moved me so much that I actually interviewed the main character from it, Captain Lavelle, is Apollo 13. Mm -hmm. And event after event, these explosions essentially keep blowing up. And um, it's impossible to get these guys home. And yet, the smartest among us down there at NASA somehow bring home this 10 ship with like a 64-volt battery. It's unbelievable how they, how they do it. But, <laughs> but Mick, they are the brightest minds in the world. And I hear your humility, and I don't think it's feigned. Are you 
stunned to think that we're talking Parkinson's, we're talking prosthetics, we're talking eyesight, we're talking the inability to speak and then being able to find their voice. Huge issues. And yet with this ragtag outfit in Southern California, we're solving for it. Like when, How do you feel when you look back at the journey that you've been on, the things that you bumped into and what you've launched regardless? I fundamentally... Fundamentally, at my core, I don't believe that that um, brilliance is taught. I think experience is taught. I think relevant uh, perspective might be taught, but I don't believe that any single person who's listening to this podcast right now is lacks the ability to solve a major problem, an impossibility. Period. I don't think anybody, everybody has the ability who's listening right now can solve an impossibility. And it might be because they went to school and have a bunch of degrees at the end of their name. And it might be that they, like me, don't have any degrees at the end of their name. Mm. What matters is that when you see something that is absurd, when you see something that from a human standpoint, from a human standpoint, you go, that ain't right. That has to change that you just commit to solving it. And what I keep witnessing over and over and over again in the work that I do is that sometimes the people with degrees behind their names solve the problems. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. And sometimes they are the problem because (laughs) their experience and their degrees and their diplomas and even the best people will have this certain sense of entitlement because they have these names, these the initials behind their names that they know best or they've been in the job longer or they've, they've got tenure or they've whatever that might be. And sometimes, and I write about this in my book, is that sometimes the, what you need is beautiful, limitless naivete. Mm. <laughs> that, you, that you don't know what you don't know. And I have witnessed it in my work, in the work that we do at Non-Impossible Labs, over and over again, that sometimes the solutions come from the most unsuspecting characters, from the intern, <laughs> from someone who has no experience in that particular thing. And then that, that I think, gives, I think it gives complete credence to this, this fundamental premise that Non-Impossible is that anybody, anybody can make impossible non-impossible. And my job, you're, you're one of the most amazing stories that I've heard. Like I, I'm watching your videos and listening to your stories. It's just incredible. Right. And you're, you just, you're just committed. You're committed to going out and doing it and telling your story. And what I call it is when, you know, when I get out and I get, I get the opportunity to talk to people and get in front of audiences and tell them about what we do at Not Impossible is that I don't call it inspiration. Mm-hmm. I call it reminding people. <laughs> I'm reminding people that they have the ability to make the impossible not impossible. My job isn't to inspire you. My job is to remind you that you already have this potential and I'm just dusting it off a little bit and reminding you like, hey, anybody can go do this. Now get, get your ass out there and go make <laughs> the impossible not impossible. Dude, uh, hopefully you uh, cleaned your calendar for the rest of the day because I, I I feel it, man. I'm, I'm, we're going to do a marathon podcast. It's a 10-hour <laughs> deal because we're going to go through story. Just Let's have your wife it. bring up the salad dress and we're going hard <laughs> today. We'll need a little bit of her creativity and ingenuity. Let's uh, do it. Let's and a little beautiful, it. limitless naivety. It, that is 
so powerful. And uh, I think we are born that way. We are taught a different way. And you are reminding us, Mick, how to return to what we once knew to be possible. Yep. Final story. Thank you. Final story I want to ask you about. um, You call it Don's voice, and it goes back to a story about. Oh, oh, John, John. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm about to. I'm about to uh, have a mutiny right now. I'm taking over your. I'm taking over your podcast. First time for it. Go go for it. Here we go. So, one of the things that you say is that you say that when you've been asked, you know, if you could go back to that garage and not have that can explode, would you do it? Mm. And your response is no, I wouldn't do that. That you look now back at your life and you look at the life that you have and you wouldn't change it. Now I think most people would at first say, don't you come on, John, there's no way, Mm -hmm. there's no way you would say that that's not real. And for those of you who maybe don't believe John or think he's just saying that, I have had the opportunity uh, just recently to interview a guy named Hugh Her. Do you know John? Do you know? I Hugh? don't know Hugh. No. Uh, you gotta get it. if you can get him on your podcast, too. So the guy's amazing. So Hugh lost both of his limbs in a climbing accident, both of his his legs in a climbing accident when he was seventeen. He now runs the head of biomechanics at MIT. He has two, he's basically a $6 million man. He's got two fake, <laughs> le- fake legs, two prosthetics, mechanical prosthetics. Mm. And I interviewed him for my podcast a couple weeks ago and said, asked him that same question. Hey, Hugh, if you could go back in time and, and change that climate accident, would you? And he answered the exact same way you did. She said, no, I wouldn't do it. I would, I would, he said, what? Well, his answer was a little funny. He said, why would I do that? My legs are upgradable now. <laughs> he said, I can upgrade my legs every year. He said, every year I change them out. I get the better, faster, stronger legs. And I just, I'm just really taken by that. Uh, having not gone through something as traumatic as what you went through, John and, and Hugh, I'm just really taken by that, that, that perspective of understanding that the life that we have is this incredible blessing and that our past does not make our future, Mm. but our past gives us perspective on how we can move through the present and move into the future powerfully. Right. And I was just, I was just so crazy inspired. I've never heard someone say that before that they would forego a tragedy, a calamity, and having heard Hugh a couple weeks ago and then then listening to some of your videos and, and, and hearing you say that, I was just really moved by that. So anyway, my mutiny was just the fact that, that that fact was really came to light for me. And hearing you say it again was just something that I just I wanted to ask you about that. Is that <laughs> what's your pers- what's your what's your perspective on that? Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with Mick Ebling, your host. <laughs> I am John O'Leary, your guest. It's an honor to be on your show, Mick. <laughs> Hey, so my, my perspective is simply this. Uh, I spent the majority of my life looking back at age nine, viewing it all as a tragedy, viewing amputation and scars and woundedness and pain, both then and now physically and emotionally as being bad. <clears throat> but then with a little bit of perspective and a little bit of reflection, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of insight and wisdom, I look back at it and realize now, Mick, 
that my wife, who I woke up next to this morning, my four little babies who are sleeping probably still somewhere in the house this morning, this beautiful life we have, the time that I get with a guy I look up to named Mick Ebling is the direct result of being burned as a kid. And if you realize, and you're honest about it, that the best of your life is because of something bad, you realize that maybe it's not bad in the first place. Maybe you viewed it as being bad for a little bit too long, and maybe it's time to change that perspective. So uh, that's my take on it now, but it took a long time to get there. Well, just just know that that story for me, um, it really inspired me. You you were you know when you <laughs> you hear you you hear something once, and then you hear it again, and then li- hearing that from you, um, you know, I felt like you were talking to me. That's you were, awesome. I, I watched I watched you talking to other people. But it just was one of those things that, um, I don't know, I hope that everyone who's listening right now really goes away and takes that as, as something that, you know, you don't have to have a, a massive explosion happen in your life to, to, have, to realize kind of the blessings of, of the path of life that we're on right now. So anyway, I wanted to, sorry to hijack Dude, awesome. it, but I just, I just wanted to thank you because that perspective, sometimes that perspective comes at, at, at interesting and, and, and uh, opportune times and me hearing that from you was an incredibly opportune time. So thank you. Well, and to your point, you can go through the explosion and get the insight, or you can hop in your car in LA, be stuck in traffic, feel like a victim or realize, man, this is my time to brainstorm or reflect mm-hmm. or start dreaming about what's possible. Whiteboard time. Yeah. So it, yep. it's not just the massive explosions. It's the baby ones. It's utilizing all of them for something good. We're going to pivot a little bit from the question I was going to ask before the show was completely hijacked and it's been derailed. And here we go now. Mick Ebling, we live seemingly in a world that is um, pretty downtrodden right now. If you turn on the news and maybe people should not, maybe that's the lesson from this podcast, don't do it. But if you watch the news, it seems like there's more violence, there's more attacks, there's more poverty, there's more starvation, there's more anger in the world today than ever before. And yet, when I see you and other people that are doing good work, I don't see that reflected in your eyes or your work or your laugh or your pauses. I see the exact opposite. So my question after this long tangent is, why are you so optimistic about life looking forward? Well, here's the thing. Um, I think the key part of what you just said is that when you turn on the news, it seems, it appears that there's more fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Guess what? I know. There's, there's not. There's not. There's less hunger. There's less starvation. There's less disease. There's less, every, every blank that we could have thought is there's more of, we just have more access and immediate access, access to it because of, mobile devices because of technology that because of your Twitter feed or Instagram or, or social media, it's like, that's how, so it appears to that to be that way, but it's not, the world is a better place than it was 10 years ago, better place than it was 20 years ago. So I think that it's, it sounds, it sounds a bit I guess, complacent to say this, which is an odd thing to say coming from kind of a guy who started a company called Not Impossible. (laughs) But if you look at the world and you're like, listen, I'm not going to be able to change the nuclear situation in North Korea. I'm not going to be able to change the, you know, these massive issues that seem unattainable, but I can solve for one person. 
I can help one person. I can go out today and I can make the, wor the world a better place for one person. If we do that, if everybody who's listening to this podcast right now goes out and helps one person, that's a pretty significant difference that's going to be made in the world tomorrow. If everyone goes out and does that tomorrow. And so for us, an underlying premise of how we think is this premise called help one, help many. Mm -hmm. And that's how we tell our stories is that when we, our mission is change the world through technology and story, we will go out and we will tell the story of some technology that we made to help one person. But in telling that story of helping one person, Tempt, Don, Daniel, Joe, like these are the names of the people that mm -hmm. we've helped, right? You now have that, you got a chance to relate to that story about Joe because, and now you're like, oh my God, this can help my dad. Mm. So we've gone from helping Joe, now we're going to help your dad and we're going to help all the other people that you're in touch with now because of your affiliation with Parkinson's. We've helped one person named Joe and now it's going to help many people. Imagine if everybody listening to this podcast went out and just helped one person. If the worst thing that could happen is that everybody listens right now, goes out and helps one person and they stop. <laughs> Hey, the world's a better place. But most likely what's going to happen is they're going to do it. And then they're going to do it again. And they're going to go, man, that felt good. <laughs> man, man, that made a difference. And they're going to go have more. Of it. And now one turns to two, turns to four, turns to eight, turns to 16. And it just, it starts to exponentialize on us. And that's, that's how I think is that I, whenever I get down and whenever I get, you know, bummed or I just feel like I can't do it. You know, you gotta you you gotta regress and go back to the basics, and those basics are let's just go help one person, and if we can do that, then that can set the course for helping many, and that's really that's what we're all about. It not impossible. It's it's using technology for the sake of humanity, recognizing absurdities, and just saying we gotta solve these things, and then just committing to helping one person. Well, brother, your time is limited. I know you are uh, solving for other seemingly impossible situations, so I want to guide you through what we call the Live Inspired Seven and then uh, show you the entrance back to your day and back to your life. So question number one, and all of our guests have been asked this one, what's the best book that you've ever read? Wow, that, that is a tough one. That's like saying, <clears throat> what's your, fav your favorite song? Um, for me, because uh, I love music, there's a couple books. Uh, I, love, I love The Fountainhead. I think that's probably mm. the book when, I'm, when I gave some recommendations to some people the other day. I love The Fountainhead. I love Atlas Shrugged. Um, not necessarily an political person, but just the stories of, of owning your life and making mm -hmm. that change. Um, the Alchemist is another one. So those are the, the books I think that mm. are, on, are on my repeat. Uh, and then Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Those, mm -hmm. are, those are kind of, those are the four that I, if, I, if I get a chance to... Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand, not so much. Those are tough to reread over, but <laughs> Al Al Alchemist and, and Man's Search for Meaning, I try to do those every year. Right on. Mick, what's one positive characteristic, <clears throat> one trait that you possessed as a child, which you wish you still exhibited as brightly today? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's important to remember that being able to play mm. and turn, turn anything into a game you know, when you were a little kid, you could have a pile of sticks and you could figure out how to make a game into it uh, or turn it into a game. I think that uh, I do that a little bit, but I wish I did that more. I wish I had that, that more of that sense of play and fascination and wonder. 
Um, and as you know, from your kids, I think that's the blessing of kids is they give that back to you. So I, but I wish that that was a more permanent state in my, in my, in my head. Awesome. If your home caught fire and all living things, people and pets are out, you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item that really matters to you. Just one. What would you grab? Uh, photo album, memories, memory, memories, I think ground you in that naivete that ground you in that that sense of wonder and they remind you of the person that you are and the person that you were hmm. and when you melt meld those together i think that gives you kind of the, the fodder for growth in the future that's awesome if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead who would you want to have that long visit with without a doubt my dad is your without father with you still or no he's no he, he passed he passed about 11 years ago um essentially before I started Not Impossible, and I would love to tell him about all the crazy stuff we're up to with Not Impossible. <laughs> when he looked back at you after you share this 14-hour long story, what, what do you think the first thing he would say to you, Mick, is? He'd say, good job, Bobes. Good job. <laughs> Keep it up. What's the best advice that you've ever received? <laughs> I was graduating from college. Right? I had gone, I went to the Air Force Academy for two years and proudly served my country playing basketball for the United States Air Force Academy. Transferred out on a volleyball scholarship to the University of California, Santa Barbara. Talk about a yin and yang of college experiences. And uh, at my college graduation from Santa Barbara, my uncle said to me, he said, ah, so what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this. And he said, so you're going to go to a job. You're going to get jump straight into the workforce. Yeah. And he goes, I said, yeah. And he said, well, just know this responsibility is overrated. Hmm. And I said, what? He said, you're going to get a mortgage payment and school payments and car payments, all that stuff going to going to all that stuff. That's going to come. That's, there's no way you're going to be able to avoid that. He said, it's overrated. Avoid it for as long as you can. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And I went off and got a job and did all that. I looked back <laughs> and I'm like, man, that was good advice that I did not heed. I should have, I should have went out and messed around for a little longer. Well, you're messing around now. We got two questions left. Your uncle would be proud. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, Mick? <laughs> I would say, listen to your uncle, man. <laughs> listen to your uncle. Now, I would say, you know, don't... We have a, a saying in my house called Dottie Sophus. Um, and it's don't take yourself so mm -hmm. F serious. And... Um, you know, every time you really get into that point of really taking yourself serious and thinking that your world is collapsing and falling in and that your problems are the problems of the world and that is it just take a step back and just take a big chill pill just mm -hmm. relax it's not it's not that bad it's not that serious and that every mistake i've made and i've made some pretty egregious mistakes in my life every mistake that i've made has basically just been a contribution to my life MBA. Mm. And if I was really able to cherish those and appreciate those and, 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 and sit back and reflect on those in the moment that I would probably get more of it, more out of it later on and be able to sit back and, and see that perspective that I had when I was 20. McEblin, I wish I had 11 more hours, but we're going to make this our final question. It has been said that all great people, and I have one, with me right now. All great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? 
Oh, that's like asking somebody a joke on the spot. <laughs> right. What's the best uh, joke you know, McEvelyn? Uh <laughs> No, stay away from the jokes. I don't know. I don't even want to know where that's gonna take us. So let's stay focused uh, on the content at hand. One sentence to sum up your life, man, that will make you utterly proud at the end of your days. You know, I honestly I think it's just that I I it would be something like he 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 absolutely did not believe in the impossible. And I think that would be um, that if I live my life that way, never believing that anything is impossible and that believing that at some point in either in my life or my kid's life or my grandkid's life or whatever, it's something that is going to send from impossible to impossible, mm-hmm. from impossible to possible. And that I played some small role in that to just light that fire to help one that might in the future help many, you know, have something go from impossible to possible. Then when I'm sitting on my rocking chair with my teeth in a jar next to me and sip, sipping my spiked lemonade on the porch, uh, then that, that would be, that would be a life worth living. Mick Ebling, uh, he absolutely did not believe the impossible was he helped one and in doing so helped many, uh, brother, Good job, Bobes. Good job, Bobes. Keep it up. It has been an honor, dude, an honor to spend some time with you today. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I really love what you're up to. And I hope we get to do this again sometime. I'm looking forward to it. My friends, that is Mick Ebling. This is John O'Leary. And today is your day. It is not impossible. Live inspired. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded Live Inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? My friends, Live Inspired in studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio.